Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking here on Thursday, December 22nd, 2022, in the final weeks and days of the year, and a lot to discuss as as always, there's a lot of action happening in the final weeks and months of the year politically, governmentally. Just a few days ago on Monday, December 19th, the New York State Climate Action Council passed a scoping plan that is the new blueprint of recommendations to meet the goals and requirements of the state's sweeping climate law, 2019's Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. That Climate Act set some very lofty goals for moving away from fossil fuels and carbon emissions and shifting to renewable energy to power New York's buildings, houses, vehicles, businesses, and more. And it created the Climate Action Council, tasked with coming up with a plan to help the state meet those lofty goals. After years of work, the council has now passed its scoping plan, which goes to the governor and legislature for consideration ahead of the imminent 2023 budget and legislative session in Albany. Here to discuss that plan, its details, and what comes next are the co-chairs of the New York State Climate Action Council. Basil Sagos is the commissioner of the state's Department of Environmental Conservation, or DEC, and Doreen Harris is president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, or NYSERDA. After a 19-3 vote by the Climate Action Council that they co-chair during Monday's meeting, the scoping plan is now available to the public. It's hundreds of pages, and I suggest you peruse it. But there's also, of course, an executive summary and a press release and things like that for those who just want to get a sense in writing. And it will be submitted to the governor and legislature by the start of the year. The wide-ranging and ambitious recommendations in the scoping plan are meant to help New York leaders, particularly the governor and state agency heads, as well as state legislators and others, including those in the private sector and elsewhere, advance policies and funding that will meet the state's climate goals, which, according to the state, are the most aggressive climate and clean energy initiative in the nation. The goals and mandates for a transition to clean energy include... 70% renewable energy by 2030, 100% zero emissions electricity by 2040, and net zero emissions by 2050. That includes reducing greenhouse gas emissions from 1990 levels by 85% by 2050. And on the way to that, a reduction of 40% by 2030. 2030, of course, not that far away. Uh, that also includes the goals and mandates of the act include at least 35% with a goal of 40% of the benefits of clean energy investments directed to disadvantaged communities. And we'll talk about what that means. So the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act was signed into law by then Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2019 after the state legislature passed it. And now the Climate Action Council has completed this scoping plan and it is going to Governor Kathy Hochul and the state legislature here for 2023. According to the Climate Action Council, New York investments in clean energy have already included tens and tens of billions of dollars in renewable and transmission projects across the state, efforts to reduce buildings emissions, scale up solar efforts, uh, hydropower, wind power, and much more. 
this climate act and the scoping plan are supposed to be an example to the rest of the country and the world, according to the leaders of the Climate Action Council. And New York is trying to lead the way or at least lead the way alongside some of the other states doing a lot of this work as well. So there's a lot to the massive scoping plan. And the goal here on the show today is to help give you an overview of some of the key pieces, some of the outstanding questions, and a sense of what comes next. Thank you very much for being here. Basil Sagos, Doreen Harris, how are you? You must be uh, have at least some significant sense of relief now that this plan is passed and out into the world. How are you today? Well, excited the plan is now uh, complete so we can run around and do our final Christmas shopping. Um, <laughs> it's, been, yes. it's been a wild ride over the last few months. I'm sure. Yeah, Doreen, how are you? It's great to see, uh, be with you, Ben. I, I think uh, Basil, we've got we've met our match. He understands this uh, law better than many. So uh, it's amazing wow. to hear him uh, detail all, all that has come before uh, this moment and what, what we have ahead of us. Ben, you've got a good handle on it, so this should be a good show. Well, I have I have some of the overview, uh, but it, but we need the experts here to talk about what's really here. So so give us the thirty thousand foot overview here before we dig into some of the details and we'll touch on a bunch of things in our you know thirty minutes together, but um not everything but but thirty thousand foot view here what what how do you put it for people? What has the climate action council accomplished here? Doreen, the honors well, sure. I mean, you you laid out all the numbers, and so I won't reiterate those. But really, what we have done here is we have worked over a series of years to put forth this plan that that actually demonstrates what it takes. That's how I think about this plan. Um, there's a lot of numbers out there, and and certainly New York's goals are are very ambitious under our climate law. But I think really the key here is this serves as a document that demonstrates the actions that are needed to achieve these requirements. And as you said, in a manner that is far more comprehensive than what you would see, um, frankly, anywhere else by accounting for equity as a central element of this plan, but also ensuring that the future is certainly better than, than the present, both with respect to ensuring that this transition is one that is deliberate and fair, but also one that creates outcomes that are better for New Yorkers at the end of the day. And that's really what this plan shows is that it's it's worth it for us to be investing in this way um, and really realizing this transition. And Ben, I mean, it's been an extraordinary ride over these last two and a half years as we crafted this plan. Um, you know, 22 members appointed to the Climate Action Council, more than 120 experts appointed to various subcommittees, you know, 11 public hearings over the course of the summer, 35,000 public comments. Um, and we, we've taken this incredible process very seriously, and it's been really rewarding, I think, because we have this ambitious law, right? It was actually the New York Times that called it the most, one of the most ambitious in the world. Um, so we've taken that ambitious law and I think matched it with a level of ambition in the planning process, coming up with these extraordinary recommendations, hundreds of them in a 400 plus page uh, document. Um, which now then, as you note, goes to the governor and the legislature and we, we get ready for the tough work, which is figuring out how to how to pull it all together and um, and ultimately keeping the public engaged throughout this process, which is going to be such a challenge. Right. There's a there's a lot more to come here. This is yes. by, by no means an end point. Um, so, so this this scoping plan, this document, I mean, it, it, there's so much to it, but in a, a lot of significant ways, 
This is about moving away from fossil fuels, greenhouse gas emissions to electricity, electrifying a lot, electrifying buildings, electrifying vehicles, electrifying ways of doing business um, that is then supported by renewable energy sources. I mean, in, in a lot of the essence of things, that's the big picture of what we're getting at is being able to uh, have enough energy come from hydro, wind, solar, and a couple of other places that then can help power an electrified grid, while also, of, co of course, ensuring that the grid has enough energy, is stable, is able to uh, withstand the high use, you know, winter times where we need lots of heat, the high use summer times where we need lots of cooling and so forth. Uh, and we'll get into more of the details. But say just again at the very highest level what this plan is and isn't. This is not a binding plan. This is a set of recommendations. This is a blueprint. Anything else people need to know about what it is and what it is not? Yeah, you're right. It, it isn't a binding plan. It's a thoroughly researched and developed plan, right? And and yeah, I mean, the 2019 law said, hey, here are these giant goals. Yeah. Hey, Climate Action Council, now you figure out how we get right. there, right? <laughs> and I think the plan does that, right? It 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 really it we took that very seriously, and I believe we developed a plan that gives us that roadmap. And then, of course, uh, the next question is, where do we go from here? What right the regulatory process ahead of us? Uh, the um, potential engagement with the legislature on any any gaps in regulatory authority that we that we may have uh our continued engagement with the private sector as to you know their uh their interest in expanding their um technologies here in new york state what can we do to accelerate that how can we create more jobs here in new york um and uh i i think it you know the non-binding nature of it is is an important factor but i, I think also the um the the plan i think matches the urgency of the moment right we haven't really talked about why we're doing this right we're doing it because of this global challenge of climate change and the impacts i think that people are feeling on a daily basis here in new york and all around the world and i think that's why you see large segments of the population actually agree with the need to take these actions so there's that urgency factor but it also the plan also uh recognizes I, I think quite quite forcefully that this needs to be somewhat subtle over time. That we're 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 urgent in our actions, but also um, the changes that we envision will be uh, subtle in some ways, so as not to um, not to create um, conditions in New York that are unfavorable for business, so as not to put homeowners at a disadvantage. You know, those those kinds of those are the questions that we're getting now. What does this mean for us in, in 10 or 20 years or five years as, as homeowners? Well, I think it's it's about choice in the short term, accelerating choice so that we get to our emissions reductions targets as quickly as possible. And what is that? OK, so let's 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 make this more concrete for people. And I and I and your point is well taken. We almost I, I mean, I clearly did. I sort of skipped over the sort of why. I mean, it, it, you know, it's almost become. Um, so widely accepted at this point that, you know, this this type of work is needed. Now, there you obviously have some critics and there are three people on the council who voted no. And there's people who are saying, you know, think this the plan moves too fast and the goals are too ambitious and, you know, home heating prices are going to skyrocket and not everybody can afford an electric vehicle. We'll get into some of that. But 
it really has been remarkable how much the sort of just popular discourse, even from people who um, often are more on the conservative side of the aisle, have moved towards, yes, we know we need to move a lot more to renewable energy. We need to you know, tackle this climate crisis. I mean, I, I've, I've noticed that accelerate quite a bit in the last few years, and even as in this election cycle, we, we saw a lot of that. So let, let's get more concrete here. And this is a lot of, Basil, your you know, DEC is going to, as you sort of got at a little bit, start to craft regulations. Doreen uh, Nyserta is going to continue to uh, move ahead on lots of these uh, renewable energy projects. So Doreen, say a little bit about some of the big pieces here, some of the aspects of this scoping plan that you know put a little more spe- specificity onto what we're talking about in terms of the transition that you're laying out a, a roadmap to. Sure. And and I think what you had said is 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 true that we do see um, a better understanding and 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 I would say support for climate action. Um, What this plan allows us to do, though, is to talk about it in more tangible terms as to what one does about it. And I think for me, it's been an interesting process um, to really articulate. In fact, I don't I think it was maybe halfway through the process Um, one of us said, you know, really the sort of disagreement, if you will, among the councils, council members was amounting to maybe like 10% of what it was we had to do to get to these goals. Like 90% of it really doesn't, doesn't change under any circumstances. Because to your point, we were given an an endpoint. Our job was to solve for that endpoint, not to debate whether we should. That was implicit within the law as to why we were doing it in the first case. And so when we think about that 90 percent, that like, how do you get from here to there? It really does have a very strong focus on electrification um, as a primary solution to decarbonize what are the two largest sources of emissions in New York state, buildings and transportation. Um, And and in doing so, uh, we really do see a heavier reliance on the grid and the grid that will be a different grid in 2030 and 2040 and 2050 than it is today. It's going to necessitate a significant build out of the types of projects that you had identified, the hydroelectric, the wind, the solar, et cetera. Um, It's also going to need a general um, expansion of the grid, i.e. the overall capacity of the grid is going to have to roughly double as is the peak of our grid. And to your point, the peak is likely to shift to a winter peaking system in the not terribly distant future. And so a lot of what we talk about in doing so is is order number one is, is building those transmission upgrades, those transmission projects, um, and building the renewable projects um, as well. That's that's really order number one when one really thinks about how to get from here to there. And in doing so, we certainly need to preserve the reliability and the resilience of our grid. That had been a point of discussion, certainly among a number of the members, which was saying that that's a premise, and and certainly it is. It's it's not the case that we can rely on a grid more so if we expect it to be less reliable. So that's going to be a strong focus of our state and our partners at the New York Independent System Operator um, and the utilities as well. And then when we think about the use of that that expanded grid, it's very much using uh, technologies that we see increasing in prominence um, around not only our state, but the world um, with respect to electric vehicles, 
particularly for light uh, duty applications, as well as the utilization of energy efficiency and heat pump technologies, whether it be ground source or air source heat pumps in our homes and buildings. Um, those are the very sort of central elements of how we get to that 90% and, uh, and a lot of details within the plan as to how. Mm-hmm. Basil, you want to jump in on any anything else you want to add there? I mean, are, are there things or we can dig in a little bit more on these two major sectors, buildings and and transportation. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about uh, any of that? Yeah, let, let me focus a little bit on transportation, right? We, which we originally thought was going to be the number one source of emissions. Now we now we know because of our analysis, it's, it's the number two. Um, that doesn't let the folks at uh, the transportation agencies off the hook. Uh, but I mean, they've been sitting with us in the in these meetings now for the course of the last two years, and and uh, we I think we have a we have a uh, perhaps a a um, very achievable vision on the transportation side. Of course, there's investments in mass transit, right? We're already a leader nationally on mass transit. Um, Of course, we can do more on that and look to electrify um, uh, bus fleets, for example, that's already happening. And and then you talk about school buses as well, something that the Bond Act, uh, the Governor's Bond Act uh, anticipates that we'll be investing in electric school buses. So those are some good mandates coming on that front. no, we also look at uh, the electric vehicle uh, option and 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 what what that means for New Yorkers. I, I bought one uh, last year during the pandemic. I just pulled up my app here uh, on my phone to see what I saved in gas this year. Uh, nearly two thousand um, dollars that I, I shaved off my costs to this year of just having an electric vehicle, um, and that's I think in the relatively nascent. Um, EV world right now, right? We're, we're still in the early eight, early days. 5% of New York's drivers are in EVs. And yet, you know, those, those, those of us that have these are already seeing ma- major savings over, over gasoline. Um, you know, the plan envisions us uh, sticking to that, really adhering to the governor's, the law that she signed last year, which requires EVs, all new EV, all, all new car sale after 2035 to be EVs. Um, and I think you see the industry moving in that direction already. You see choice out there. You see affordability out there. It's not just the high-end EVs, but it's the major manufacturers doing that. Uh, it's, you know, the, the technologies have improved, but you also have interventions from the federal government, making that a lot easier now for a lot of these manufacturers to begin pr- producing at scale. So, you know, we, we see the future is, is really bright on the EV front and um, perhaps exceeding where where uh, where we've set our targets uh, in the not too distant future. Um, of course, we have to continue investing in the uh, the charging network here in the state, something I think if you drive around New York, you see that happening. Lots of apps showing you where to charge, um, other throughways installing uh, charging stations as well. well this, this state throughway um, locations, the rest areas. Um, and, and, um, you know, and you see people making the shift and really not regretting it. You don't have those range anxiety questions anymore because the cars just drive a lot farther than they used to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, we, we have a lot of optimism. I think obviously there's a challenge ahead of us. And I think the challenges are going to be significant across the board as we approach reducing emissions across all sectors, but perhaps transportation might be in my view, one of the, one of the more, um, the less uh, burdensome uh, sectors to, to electrify. And more burdensome would be on the building side. Is that uh, <laughs> is that fair to say? I mean, this is obviously something we. Um, I'm based in New York City, of course, and and um, you know there there was a lot of debate over the last few years about um, New York City's law to 
uh, reduce emissions from, uh, especially from larger buildings. Um, and now, now some of that's being replicated here in this plan. And the governor obviously had a proposal in her um, agenda this year in 2022 that did not pass, but now this is part of the the scoping plan. And there's been some adjustments on the timelines and and all of that. But um, let's talk about the, the the sector of buildings. I mean, this is where requirements for buildings to um, reduce their emissions to electrify um, that that's going to be part of what you're putting before the governor and the legislature to take action on here uh, upcoming in 2023. Correct? Can you say a little bit about the um the goals there and if if the scoping plan gets its way uh and you and the council gets its way what that will look like yes certainly and 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 i would say in a world of 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 change it is the case that that homes and buildings are a particular uh focus of our state and and i'm certain uh we could probably apply the word challenge to that uh phrase as well because it is true New York is is a complex state with respect to not only the extent of of the buildings, right? We have uh, everything from, uh, you know, upstate uh, uh, small single family homes all the way to high rises in the city and and beyond. And really, when we think about the ways in which we will make our homes and buildings more efficient, um, it is true also that the scoping plan notes, and I think it's important to note that it's not just about making them more, more efficient, it's about making them more comfortable and more resilient at the same time. And, and for many of the reasons that, that Basil laid out with respect to electric vehicles, having some very real benefits with respect to sort of assisting with uh, price stability in in the longer term uh, for homeowners and businesses. But really, um, we do need to start um, by weatherizing our homes. Um, Much of New York's building stock was built before there was even an energy code. So we need to start by air sealing and insulating, et cetera, um, to make our homes more comfortable and reduce home heating costs. And that alone um, can can result in a pretty substantial savings in home heating costs. I, I think the number was around 15%. But then it it is also true that a weatherized building um, would benefit from being electrified um, with either an air source or ground source heat pump. And and certainly that's really a a shift that we see happening first in new construction. So we want to get to these buildings as they're being constructed sooner than later. Um, Relative to the building stock in New York, that's a small number, but an important number to really start working on sooner than later. And then obviously to begin tackling um, our building stock at scale that exists today. You know, a couple of observations on that. First of all, we've talked about it, but I think it's important to note one related benefit of heat pump technologies are that they provide cooling as well as heating. And so it's not even not only that it will reduce heating costs, it'll reduce cooling costs um, in the summer as well compared to air conditioning units. But it is also um, true that when we think about how we get from here here to there, um, we need to advance code changes. You had mentioned that as as a major way in which we can ensure this this begins to to take take shape, so to speak. And just like electric vehicles, we see this market evolving um, and expanding. I always like to talk about our our, our colleagues in uh, Northern Europe as an example. They've demonstrated heat pump penetration in the high 80s to 90%. It happens in climates that are much similar to New York State. 
It's just a matter of really true market development to bring forth the workforce, the technologies, and the mechanisms to achieve these outcomes. Mm-hmm. And some of the keys here, the uh, the plans ha- has it that um, uh, under new construction or, or sort of major renovations, um, there, there would be no fossil fuel, no gas hookups uh, for, for smaller buildings starting in 2025 and, and larger buildings starting in 2027. Um, and then you're also calling for um, not allowing the replacement of of gas or other fossil fuel based um, furnaces and such in homes and apartments buildings uh, starting in 2030. And you already mentioned the um, elimination of gas powered car sales as of 2035. So 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 that's a lot obviously pretty soon. I mean, within the next decade-ish, now there's some people saying it should all be happening sooner, of course, but um, one of the outstanding questions, whether it's about, um, you know, electric vehicles for for people to buy vehicles, or it's about replacing uh, a home furnace, or it's about the massive buildings, is how do you manage costs and ensure that, all of this is manageable and doable. Is it about a series of incentives, rebates? Is it about relying on the private market now to see so much opportunity in New York in certain ways to mostly be able to fill in the gaps? How how does that work in terms of sort of the the market analysis and the necessity of either uh, state incentives? There's obviously a lot of complicated pieces here. Uh, you mentioned the Environmental Bond Act is coming through, so that'll be bonded out state money that voters just approved, $4.2 billion, including dedicated money towards uh, some vehicle electrification and other things. Uh, there's lots of money now coming from the federal government available through a variety of, of packages that have passed. So say a little bit about all that complicated brew and about people who are concerned about being forced into um, you know, purchases or certain types of home renovations, et cetera. Well, I would say look, in the near term, it's, it's about choice, right? I mean, truly. And as there are different ways to drive and different ways to, to heat your home, um, you know, there needs to be a, a, a sense of, of timing on this because people aren't sw- swapping out their, cars every year. They're not swapping out their heating sources every year, right? For better or worse, these things only last a few years, right? The car devalues the minute you drive it off the lot, and then it's broken a few years later after all the salt uh, wears away at the at the chassis. Uh, similarly, you know, the, the the oil burner or the gas burner in your in your in your basement, it's got a 10, 15 year life on it. Um, so, you know, as as consumers are looking to make those shifts, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there are on the, on the automobile side, there are choices that they can make even right now. Of course, it's more difficult to, to find the, find them because of the supply chain issues, but uh, people can shift into, into EVs. Um, And there are, as you note, federal uh, incentive packages uh, on that. Uh, Same thing with, with uh, heat pumps, right? There, There is some penetration into the market with that right now. Certainly imagine long-term, there's going to be a mix of state and federal incentives that get into this um, that, that help New Yorkers make this shift um, that ultimately uh, the shift will be somewhat subtle and almost unrecognizable, right? That because, 
generally people just want a warm home. Um, they don't generally care what what's actually warming their home. I mean, I think that's the case. Um, they want to get from A to B um, when they're driving. Does it really matter? You know what's powering them from getting from A to B. So I think as 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 you know as the uh, private sector you know communicates its its technologies its options as we uh, communicate our intent as a government to uh, accelerate those those options for people you know you're you're going to see people I think just adopt the technologies uh, because they're available because there's a workforce ready to make the installations and because you know what it ends up being a savings over time you don't have those incredible fluctuations that we all experienced this year in gas prices in natural gas prices heat home heating oil and people are paying an extraordinary amount of money year to year on on the way we currently drive and and heat. And what we envision long term is driving those costs down, making it more predictable and more more flat uh, year to year. Um, so yeah, that that's 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 effectively what the scope and plan does for us, and you know gets us to the point where now it's now it's incumbent upon us to either accelerate our existing programs or create new ones. And this is part of where it's going to be up to whoever the governor is and state agencies as well as the legislature. This is going to be. Um, there's obviously going to be new things passed in the state budget uh, and new legislation passed, and there's going to be regulations crafted and uh, passed. Um, But also a lot of this is about things continuing to be living and breathing um, plans and documents and things that are going to need to be reevaluated and adjusted as we see how the electric vehicle market develops and say a little bit about the need for, some flexibility. I know. I know. Just coming out of passing the scoping plan, you you don't want to immediately be thinking about adjustments that are going to be needed. But I mean, even in the Climate Action Council, there's a process for every five years revisiting plans. So um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who look at uh, this blueprint and these recommendations, and some people who love it all. Some people who might, you know, they their eyebrows get raised about some of the things I mentioned related to vehicles, home heating, new construction, you know, things like that. But there's a, there's an element in this that is about needing to be flexible and and adjusting, adjusting over time. Correct. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was another theme that the council really um, dealt with throughout this process was that we are not talking about a transformation that is going to occur between now and, you know, three years from now. That's not how this is. This is not how the law is set up, nor is it really how we plan. And very much plan, part of planning is understanding that planning isn't perfect and that it needs to be revisited over time, specifically when one is looking at long range goals like 2050. And, and really, Where we landed as a council is to recognize that despite the fact that there is uncertainty with respect to the exact technologies and the exact solutions that we will be utilizing in 2050 to hit those long range goals, that there are very specific and tangible and important steps that need to be taken now um, to begin that 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 shift, um, which will occur over decades. And that's really true of any. 
this is why we invest in innovation. This is why we recognize that New York um, is going to be bolstered by global forces that are pushing in the same direction because in setting those goals with others, um, in partnership, that's where we start to see market investments and we start to see solutions that are brought to bear for the challenges that we see. Um, I had mentioned reliability as, as a central um, challenge that we see moving forward, the reliability of our grid. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it is true that, for example, long duration storage technologies that will help us achieve that long term reliable grid. We at NYSERDA are investing in them now through our innovation team, as is the federal government and the private sector. But but I would predict that uh, whomever's doing this interview in 2049 um, is going to have new technologies that will have been brought to bear um, toward addressing those challenges. So. So it is. And that's why we go back as a state to our state energy planning process, which I'm told we're going to be kicking off in the next couple of years and why the council will be revisiting the scoping plan um, periodically as well. We'll all be doing this interview in 2049. Yeah, I was going to say, don't 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 plan your retirement quite yet. Um, All right. I I want to try to get to a few more things in our last few minutes here. Um, Basil, say, say a little bit about um, how this um, mandate of 35% to 40% of benefits of the energy transition here getting directed to underserved communities, environmental justice communities that have borne the brunt of environmental injustice and, and pollution and, and the challenges there. How does this plan ensure that that mandate is met? Mm. Well, glad you brought that up. I mean, that the the... The climate justice aspect of the CLCPA, states climate law, I mean, that's really the heart of the law. I mean, that was the uh, the driving force behind its enactment. And um, yes, there's many reasons why we are pursuing uh, an agenda that reduces emissions. Um, but the disproportionate impacts felt by disadvantaged communities, I mean, that, that has been a... a, a a serious problem that the state has, has been facing now for many years. And now we have a law that actually not just enables us to address that, but requires us to. Um, and, um, you know, the, 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 the goals that have been set, the investment goals that have been set um, really, you know, enable us to get at the heart of some of the, some of the problems, right. Um, the disenfranchisement of people in from the green energy economy, right. The clean economy, um, right. The, the scoping plan envisions us, um, you know, making the kinds of investments in a collaborative way that that help communities uh, get a get a handle on their emission sources and actually benefit from this transition. Um, the health impacts. I mean, not all New Yorkers experience the impacts of pollution equally uh, that they're being felt in a disproportionate way because of diesel trucks and buses and pollution sources, wastewater plants, uh, waste transfer stations. Um, I mentioned waste um, in the plan is encouraging us to reduce the amount of waste that we generate, right? Which, which then has the benefits of, of uh, fewer truck trips in, in, in in the South Bronx and Northern Manhattan, parts of Brooklyn, Queens, and so on. Um, it, you know, we 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 fully we fully expect to to hit those targets uh, to ensure that we're uh, not creating a, a, a disproportionate burden when we make these transitions. You know, the plan was very very clear about 
um, disfavoring offsets, which has been used in other contexts where, um, you know, from a statewide perspective, you can look at emissions going down, but perhaps they're going up in certain areas. And the plan very much acknowledges that that is no longer uh, an appropriate way of, of governing. Um, so, you know, as we make the investments, you know, we're, we're already holding ourselves to these numbers right now. I mean, we are beginning to to merge the 35, 40 percent targets into the work that we do as an agency. I know NYSERDA is as well, um, even so far as to govern the way that we inv- make investments out of the Bond Act, the $4.2 billion mm-hmm. Bond Act, right? Holding ourselves to those numbers. The same on wastewater investments, Um this is the way that we have to govern. I mean, this is we we our our roles uh, are are statewide, and um, you know we have to take into account the conditions being faced by um, all people in New York, and uh, the burden has been uh, enormous and unjust in communities of color for for many decades. It's um often often been referred to as a, a cap and trade system, but you're calling it a cap and invest system. Uh, will one of you just take a, a quick stab at explaining uh, that in the scoping plan that that setting caps on carbon emissions, allowing uh, for the for the purpose purchase of the ability to emit but but reducing those purchases over time and using using the funds from those purchases to do some more of these investments. Um, we say a little bit about that system and then, uh, a very quick final question, and I'll let you go. I think you just nailed it. That's <laughs> what it does. Uh, right. It, it is a. It's one of the recommendations. It's a big recommendation, um, and something that we're we're thinking about now for sure. Um, uh, you know, setting a cap on the on the level of of emissions in a state, and then allowing allowing those proceeds from from the sale of allowances to 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 go out to um, both defray costs, right. Um, Ensure that our 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 investments and our regulatory actions are are done in a, in a way that doesn't impede or impair your average New Yorker. So, are there ways in which we can um, uh, reduce costs, keep costs down, ensure affordability, um, ensure equity uh, through a system like this, and also um, not unjustly um, uh, penalize businesses that are exposed because of uh, the the work that they do. Like think about the steel industry, for example, right? That we have here in New York. Uh, are there carve outs that would need to be made for an industry like that? So this is something obviously we're thinking about. It's, it's a it's a recommendation at this stage, right? We haven't done anything on this mm-hmm. yet. We have 2023 to think about and what the path forward is on on a, a so called cap and invest system. Um, but um, obviously to hit our targets, we need to need to come up with big programs that help us make those emissions reductions and, and also make the investments in the state. So this is certainly one of the one of the recommendations that the council came up with. Okay. Yeah. And that'll oh go ahead, Doreen. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just gonna just add very briefly, we already are in, we've implemented for decades the regional greenhouse gas initiative. It's really an example of how we could advance a cap. In this case, we've we've advanced a regional cap and invest program for power plants in particular. Um mm. and, and we see these programs being used in other jurisdictions. But again, it's an example of, of the ways in which we can both enforce and um invest at the um, same time. Final quick question for each of you. So Doreen is president and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. What's something coming out of this scoping plan now that NYSERDA, um, you know, is is especially needing to explore more, uh, shift your focus into more? Is it related to um, there was a lot of discussion about the use of, of hydrogen 
uh, energy? Is it, is it, um, you know, you're, you're obviously have so much going already related to some of these bigger aspects of renewable energy, renewable energy development projects, the major, um, hydro wind solar projects that are already ongoing and, and the variety of smaller projects and, and systems around the state. But is there anything sort of new or different or a shift for you coming out of this at NYSERDA that, um, you know, again, pending how the governor and the legislature react, things could go in lots of different directions here. But is there something that we haven't discussed uh, particular to your work that's sort of a next phase here coming out of this plan? Well, we certainly have have touched on the various ways in which NYSERDA intersects with these markets. I think as a general matter, it it really will come uh, down to scale. Um, i.e. we definitely are advancing and investing across every sector of our economy and innovation as well. But but the Climate Act necessitates um, an order of magnitude greater, um, really with respect to the scale we're, we're getting to, particularly in the building stock, but, but also as a general matter. So yes, and in the first instance, it's about impact. It's about how to leverage federal money more effectively, how to really build market momentum toward that pace. Um, but we are. You're, yeah, I'll talk about hydrogen any day of the week because it is the case. I mentioned ninety uh, percent equals electrification. What does one do with that ten percent, um, roughly speaking? And and we are. We're actively pursuing, as an example, an application to the Federal Department of Energy to host a hydrogen hub. Um, NYSERDA is leading the application, but we have. Oh, goodness, approaching 100 partners in six states joining us in doing so, because it is true that there are real areas of our economy that are very difficult to electrify. And when we think about um, hydrogen as a potential asset to help us decarbonize perhaps aviation or medium and heavy duty transport industry and the like, we think we have a real opportunity in the U.S. Northeast to do so in a way that utilizes green hydrogen production um, in the first instance. So that is a very active process um, okay. and more to come. We're very, very focused on leveraging federal money um, in, in our work. Yeah, I, uh, we, we get into that another time, but there, as I said in the intro, there's there's a lot of, uh, a lot of federal money that's gonna be available here through the Inflation Reduction Act and, and other things, and even, even the infrastructure law where there's a lot of uh, money at play and the Green Chips Act and, and yep. so forth that we saw. Um, Basil, final word, a- a- any one thing you'd point to, um, I mean, t- take take the specifics of this question if you want or not, or just something else we haven't gotten to that you're you're thinking about here. But but um, you know, I wanted to ask you just you know, is there is there a, a big variable here, a big unknown that you'd point to for people to say, you know, this is one thing I'm thinking a lot about that we just really don't know where it's going to go, um, and that you know, I'm I'm really looking at closely, or we're going to look at a DEC closely, or something like that, or taking it a different direction with something else that you're, you know, something else specific we haven't gotten to that you're focused on. Well, Ben, I, I, I know the year, year plus ahead of us is going to be um, extraordinarily challenging as we craft regulations. And I know the business community wants certainty, right? They want a, um, they want a horizon that they can see and understand and I get that. And we've talked considerably, both Doreen and I have talked considerably with um, business leaders, trade groups, you know, about the actions that we're taking right now. And um, 
And I really value, I value the process that we've taken to get to this point because we've had an enormous amount of input in, into coming up with a scoping plan. The process from this point forward must be even more robust. We have to get our regulations right. And that's going to entail uh, an extraordinary level of engagement with people who are really concerned right now. And we hear that, we read it, you know, we've spoken with folks about it um, because we really see the upside of what we're doing here. This is an incredible opportunity that the state has ahead of it right now with our law, federal money, the public engagement, right? People supporting what we're doing. Um, Fundamentally, we have to get the regulations right. So we're protecting the businesses that are here in the state, that we're attracting businesses that want to be part of this huge opportunity. Um, so we take it very seriously, not something we take lightly at all. And I would say for me, um, it isn't as much of an unknown as it is a recognition that we have to uh, redouble our efforts really quickly, you know, really at the outset of 2023 um, to uh, put people's concerns to rest uh, and let them know uh, from a planning perspective that, uh, we get it and we have to be ambitious, but we also uh, need to incorporate um, the best judgment that's out there and 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 then get the state on the right track to reduce emissions and attract these jobs. OK, well, 2022 has been an immense year for New York's uh, energy transition and uh, culminating here with the passage of this scoping plan from the New York State Climate Action Council. And now we've previewed uh, how 2023 will possibly be an even bigger year and a more important year uh, as as that keeps escalating and the work keeps continuing. The co-chairs of the New York State Climate Action Council have been with me here. Uh, Thank you very much for the time. Basil Sagos, Commissioner of the State's Department of Environmental Conservation, Dorian Harris, President and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, Thank you both for the time and look forward to checking in in 2023. Thanks, Ben. Happy holidays. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. Happy holidays. (laughs) 